Hi, and welcome to Why Do We Do That, a psychology podcast that deconstructs human behavior from the perspectives of social scientists, psychologists, and others that use applied psychology in their work. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Moyer. In this episode, I sat down with Dr. Kenan Sheldon. Ken is the Curator's Distinguished Professor of Psychological Sciences at the University of Missouri. He was awarded the Ed and Carol Diener Mid-Career Award for Contributions to Personality Psychology in 2015 and was named one of the 20 most cited social psychologists in the world by the Personality and Social Psychology Bulletin in 2010. Ken's research is in the area of goal pursuit, motivation, and well-being. In our conversation, we talked about everything goal-related, from how to choose goals to how to maintain progress with these goals over time. One key takeaway I had was how important it is to understand why we pursue certain goals. It's unfortunately all too common for us to go down paths in life for the wrong motivations because of external forces like having the opportunity to make more money or because of pressure from our parents or even because of some narrative that we've crafted in our heads about how our future should look uh, that might no longer fit the current version of ourselves. This pattern of behavior is rarely going to lead to good outcomes in the long run. It is crucial to take control of our goal pursuits in order to give ourselves a chance at actually succeeding at them. That doesn't mean we shouldn't pursue goals that make us uncomfortable. Ken underscores that we need to do our best to internalize our pursuit of goals, even if that goal isn't something we particularly enjoy. Ken said something that stuck with me towards the end of our conversation, and that is that you, you can't just make yourself happier. Happiness is really more of a side effect from challenging ourselves through making and achieving goals over time. Hopefully, you'll be able to find some takeaways like I did to help you pursue goals more effectively. Enjoy. All right, I am here with Ken Sheldon. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, goals and motivation today. Thank you so much for uh, joining me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Great. So, um, so you've spent uh, a, a large uh, percentage of your career uh, researching how goals and motivation uh, are associated with human well-being. And you know, one of the themes of your research is that you can that if you pursue the right goals and if you pay attention to your motives behind these goals that you're pursuing, that it's going to be more likely to lead to more positive outcomes, better, better well-being or whatever you want to call it. Um, I know that I, when people ask me, you know, how, how do you define success in a human being? I like to say that uh, it's, can you make and achieve goals? So, you know, I think there's a lot of agreement here between you and I of, of the importance of, of goal making and goal pursuit. So what, for my first question is basically, what, what's the biggest mistake that the average person makes when they uh, choose life goals? Yeah, well, that's a really great question. Um, to answer, we need to, to back up a little bit and think about um, what is our position in our own heads 
as we're trying to, to make goals. And the position is kind of like um, we're sort of floating in this verbal world, um, partially cut off from uh, deeper stuff down inside of us, not exactly the unconscious mind, but just parts of ourselves that um, the, the current self that we're living in uh, doesn't know about. And so uh, that current self that we're living in is in charge. Um, it's, it's actually up to us to make choices, but we don't necessarily know enough to make good choices. So, so the question is, how do we even um, manage to pick goals that um, are really going to be worth pursuing um, as opposed to goals that uh, we've deluded ourselves about or we, we're doing them because we think we have to or others have told us that's what we ought to do. And, and so that's kind of the first question is, what is it that you, you're writing down on that sheet of paper that you want and why do you want it? <clears throat> um, and so a lot of the research I do is, um, says it really matters why we want the goals that we that we think we want. Um, and then the sometimes we'll pick goals that we don't really want actually, but we think we do. We've kind of uh, deceived ourselves about them. And so the main symptom of this uh, is that you write down the goal and you say, okay, I'm gonna do this. And then I say, okay, why do you want it? And you make ratings that uh, suggest you're doing it because you kind of feel guilty if you didn't, you know, you're sort of pushing yourself. This is what I ought to do. Uh, this is what I have to do. This is what I'm being told to do. Um, and if you find that, that those are the reasons why you want to do it, um, there's a pretty good chance that you shouldn't bother. I mean, of course, there's lots of things we have to do in life and that's, you know, it's important to take care of those. But when it comes down to, you know, the thing that you are going to say for yourself that you want, that you're going to put energy into, um, that really should be about what do I enjoy, what's meaningful to me, what's valuable to me, not what do I feel like I have to do, what, what I'm supposed to do, and so forth. So that's kind of the first symptom. Ask yourself, why do I want this? And if it's because it's, I think it's going to be a, a lot of fun and challenging, fascinating, and it's important, meaningful, I identify with it. This is really me. It feels like that's the greatest sign there is that um, that's a goal that fits your deeper self. And by deeper self, I mean the stuff in there that we don't really know about, the things we, we um, our, our growth potentials, our um non-conscious motivations. There's a lot of stuff in there that's hard to make touch with. And, and so that's the, the symptom that you've made touch with it is that you're pursuing it with a sense of self-determined motivation. We can talk about self-determination yeah. theory, theory later. Um, well, yes. So the, I, I know I deal with uh, self-determination theory in my, the course that I teach. Um, basically, the, you know, the idea that you're touching on is, is that uh, you can kind of break down our motives behind goal pursuit into these two big categories, right? So there's extrinsic and intrinsic motivation. So for the listeners, intrinsic motivation, uh, you're pursuing something because it's uh, you're inherently drawn to it versus extrinsic. There's some sort of external goal that's pushing you towards that. So could you talk a little bit about, about 
what that balance should look like. So, you, you know, you just said that you should be, um, you should be, you know, focusing on goals that are really meaningful to you. Um, but does that mean all of your goals have to be kind of pursuits that are really, really interesting to you? You know, where does, where does sort of discipline fit in and, and how do we think about the balance between these two types of motivations yeah, yeah. when we're pursuing uh, different goals? Great questions. And um, to answer them, we need to go beyond uh, just intrinsic motivation, which is, I like it, it's fun, it's exciting, it's challenging. Um, that's one form of autonomous motivation according to self-determination theory and maybe the most important one or maybe not because there's a second form of autonomous motivation called identified motivation, which is, it's meaningful to me, it's important. And you can have identified motivation even for something that you hate doing. You don't like it at all, but you think it's important. You see what I mean? So um, taking out the trash, uh, changing your baby's diaper, um, taking a particular class that's required for, for a, a, a broader, longer term goal, um, you know, you may not really want to, it may not really interest you, but if you can still get yourself behind the goal and say, you know, I see the importance of this and I'm totally willing to do it, even though I don't expect to enjoy it. So that's where the you're saying that come from. Yeah, so that's you, you, you want to differentiate that between the two categories that, that I just talked about, right? So it's kind of like, uh, so intrinsic is sp specifically something you're inherently drawn to, but this category that you're explaining is something that basically something that gives purpose, right? It's something, it's not necessarily something that you want to, that you, you, you would find quote unquote fun, but you get value in it in a different way. That's right. Um, it's meaningful. It's important. And you could say that it's part of your purpose. Yeah. And sometimes your purpose, uh, when you're pursuing that purpose, you're going to find yourself having to do things you don't want. And so here's the trick, whether you can get yourself to internalize doing that thing so that you don't feel pressured and compelled while you do it. You don't feel resentful and ambivalent. You instead manage to feel this sucks, maybe, but I really want to do it anyway. Uh, and so the internalization process is the process by which we um, do something we don't want to do with a full sense of willingness and because it's connected to purpose and meaning, perhaps. And um, this is a process that we see, you know, it's, an, it's a natural part of human development is internalizing what we used to have to do and coming to see that we want to do it, not just have to do it. Um, it kind of happens by itself. Um, there's conditions that uh, help us do better at it. You know, like if there aren't people forcing us and, and trying to control us, then we're better able to come to see the value on our own as opposed to digging in our heels against these people. Um, so that's really the critical thing. Not everything's fun, but uh, can it be meaningful at least? And if you're not able to find meaning in it, that's another uh, symptom that maybe you shouldn't be doing that thing at all. So, you, you know, you, you just said that, um, that, you, you know, 
it's important to have these types of goals that that you're uh, that you might not enjoy, that you might not want to do, but but are fulfilling. Um, and my first thought was, you know, in today's culture, that seems like a challenge more so than it has ever been. Specifically, kind of having to do with the idea that um, uh, delayed. Our, our ability to delay gratification seems to be at an all-time low. I mean, the pan pandemic doesn't help. Obviously, we've had to kind of limit some of our behaviors and some of some of our goals we literally couldn't pursue. Um, but I'm curious um, about your view of the trend in terms of our ability to do things we don't want to do. It, 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 you know, I talk to my students, and I get the impression that that uh, that a lot of young people are extremely averse to doing things they don't want to do. And I don't know if it's just a difference of, of maybe they're just at a certain age and that sort of ability to pursue things that you might not find super fun gets better as you get older, or if it's a generational thing. Do you have thoughts about uh, the state, like, you know, today's state in terms of goal pursuit and, and those challenges? Yeah, uh, those are big questions, and I, I have thoughts about them. <laughs> um, first of all, we have done research on um, the relation of people's age to their uh, internalized motivation, and there's a definite correlation. So older people are able to get themselves to do things they don't want better than younger people are. Right. Um, and we think about that a couple of ways, that older people... Uh, have just come to accept and understand the importance of doing things like, let's say we, we did a study on paying taxes. Older people have come around to understanding the importance of paying taxes and they do it more willingly, even though, the, the, even though they still don't really want to. So yeah, there is a, a, a maturational trend, you know, across the lifespan, but you're also asking about, is there a, um, uh, a trend in society across cohorts so that the current cohort of people has less internal motivation than previous cohorts. And I guess my answer to that is I'm not sure. Um, I don't do that kind of research and I'm not sure anybody has really taken a good look at that, but there is some um, evidence that supports that idea. Um, uh, uh, researcher Jean Quengi Stando State has been doing uh, research on narcissism, uh, looking at has narcissism changed over the last 50 years. And so there's a single narcissism scale that's been used for 50 years now. And so uh, Twenge has crunched the data to look at the average narcissism, narcissism score of 20 year olds in the 1970s compared to 20 year olds in the 2010s. And she finds that narcissism has been going up on average across uh, these each new cohort. And so if you wanna make a connection between uh, narcissism and the ability to get yourself to do something you don't really want to, uh, I think there is kind of a connection there conceptually. That's, that, that's fascinating um, to, 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 to see it that way. Um, yeah, I, I, it, make, it makes sense. I've had a guest uh, on onto the program, uh, uh, Dr. Romani uh, Dervasla, talking about narcissism. So if you're interested, go check out that episode. You can learn more about narcissism. Um, has, so is, is that the only link that you know of between 
uh, narcissism and other types of goal pursuit? Is that a common uh, research area? Um, I mean, on, on the surface, it kind of makes sense. Like if you're narcissistic and you're self-centered, you know, God forbid I, I end up doing something for someone else, right? Uh, which, which wouldn't fit into that, in that identified motivation. Um, does, does narcissism or any other personality traits interact with, uh, with how people, uh, with, with, with different motives behind pursuing goals? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> we published a study last year connecting uh, narcissism as a trait to the kinds of goals that people pursue. And we made a distinction between egocentric goals, kind of about me, versus uh, what uh, Jennifer Cracker calls uh, ecocentric goals, which really means for her um, pro-social goals about others. And so there's a definite, definite connection between narcissism and egocentric goals, um, uh, just in the way you'd expect. So if you're less interested uh, in uh, connecting to others having meaningful relations with others because you're more self-absorbed, um, you might have a harder time internalizing uh, social norms, social prescriptions, pay your taxes, um, be nice to people, even if you're not sure you like them. So yeah, I do think that there's a possible connection there. Now, I think, I, I know when I start thinking about uh, when I start thinking about making my own long-term goals, uh, it is oftentimes extremely difficult to be able to perceive the benefits of long-term goals. So for example, exercise, you know, you, you tell someone uh, there's, everyone knows that exercise has all kinds of benefits for health and, and stress and well-being, et cetera, et cetera. But I know when you, I know when you tell people that, if they don't like exercise, they're, they're not going to even start. And it's going to be difficult for them to see those benefits, especially when a lot of the benefits from practicing exercise only come up from doing it a while, right? They're, even to even hit that threshold where you start to see, oh, I feel much better and stuff like that. A lot of people can't even get to that step. I know for the same way for me, when I, you know, when I, try to, uh, when I am in a running phase or I'm jogging, it's often difficult to see these long-term benefits. And I feel like that's something that's causes uh, sort of um, difficulty in achieving long-term goals. Is there anything that we know of that can, you know, reframe these goals to make it a little bit easier uh, to, to make that first step? Yeah, that's another great question. Um, <clears throat> Well, the first thing is, if you decide you're going to start exercising, um, you should try to get yourself to internalize that as much as you can and get yourself to start with a sense of this is really important to me. You know, I see how this fits into the person that I want to be in the distant future. And, um, you know, don't start it with, yeah, I'm going to go, go to the gym every day, but I'm going to hate it, you know, um, then tell yourself, I may not like it at first, but uh, I think it's really important and I'm gonna give myself my best shot. So that piece of it says, 
don't even start if you can't get yourself to fully believe in it. And, you know, but that's tricky because you don't see the results yet. Like you said, it's a long-term thing. So the second piece of advice, uh, this is actually a study we did uh, where we compared um, uh, two attitudes towards your goal. Eye on the prize, like where you want to get in the long term versus nose to the grindstone, like just kind of keep doing it, you know, in the short term. And we found that um, if we had people think about their their laboratory task goal in these two different ways, it, it made a big difference in how they interpreted momentary failure. So if you're thinking about the big picture, where you're trying to get, and you have a momentary failure, you don't make it to the gym today. You're like, oh my God, I'm never going to get there. This is terrible. Whereas if you keep your nose to the grindstone and you didn't get to the gym today, you say, okay, well, that was today. You know, I was busy, but tomorrow I will. You know, so um, mm -hmm. it's important to um, kind of keep that short-term focus. And you can also get... Um, benefits even in the short term if you pay attention so you know you didn't lose that those 30 pounds yet but you slept better and you felt better that evening you know and you slept better that night so if we notice you know we start to get those short-term benefits right away from a, a lot of the things that we do but uh, but then we feel discouraged because we still haven't lost those 30 pounds but so the key is to put the 30 pounds aside and focus on the positive benefits you're getting by keeping your nose to the grindstone. Now, I always, um, when, when, when I uh, talk to my students about goal pursuit, um, I, I also like to differentiate between sort of basically that distinction that you just said, sort of eye on the prize versus nose to the nose to the ground. Is that what it was? Grindstone. No, nose to the grindstone. It's an okay. old saying. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, what I, so what I tip, tell me if I'm, if I'm presenting this correctly, what I would typically tell them is um, most of the time you want to keep, you know, keep focused in the, and that short, those short-term benefits and those actions. And then what I also tell them is when you, when you start to feel a loss of motivation, that's when you go revisit that big picture, you know, maybe have a poster, maybe have something, um, something like as a pick me up uh, to, to keep them on track when they just don't feel like when they get sort of lost in the weeds of the goal. Right. Because if you're especially with exercise, if you're I if the prize at the end is if, you know, looking a little bit better in the mirror. If you're constantly just focused on how much your muscles hurt and, and how much you, oh, I hate going in the gym, you might actually completely lose sight of that prize. Uh, yeah. Does that, is that good advice for, for my students? Yeah, I think so. Um, what I hear you saying is um, <clears throat> to revisit the initial intention when your motivation is flagging and maybe you have strategies um, for, you know, you have an image of your mind of, of how your life is going to be. Um, <clears throat> that can be helpful. Um, the main, uh, I think the main trick is to um, revisit the, the prize, the long-term goal in the context of momentary success. So I went today, I feel better today, 
I'm on path to my, my, my long-term self. That's great. Uh, the thing to try to avoid is to catastrophize when you fail in the short term. I didn't make it to the gym today. I'm never going to be who I want to be, right? So uh, use successes to, to energize yourself, short-term successes, and don't let yourself use short-term failures to demotivate yourself. Now you brought up, you brought up the idea of evaluating your goals by making comparisons. And you, you're basically talking about making, you know, looking back at what you've accomplished in sort of a positive light. Uh, I know there's some research that looks into the idea that uh, you should be making uh, comparisons to your prior self and not others. Uh, could you talk a little bit about how to, how to make evaluations in terms of your progress for your goal in that context? Yeah. Well, that question gets us into a, a very big research area that um, really Carol Dweck's research on um, uh, mastery goals versus performance goals. And so performance goals are about doing well compared to other people. Mastery goals are about doing well compared to your own prior ability. Right. And um, a lot of research shows that the mastery approach is a, a lot more uh, adaptive. It's like, I'm trying to improve. I don't care about the rest of you people. Some mm -hmm. of you are way better than me, but as long as I'm getting better every day, that's cool. Um, and so that's another one of the traps we can fall into is to um, think about ourselves in comparison to others who may be way better than us. And that's called an upward social comparison. And actually those can be good, you know, they, those others can inspire us, but it can also be very demotivating to think about the large gap between us and them. And so um, social comparisons, I would say, uh, are more detrimental than beneficial in goal pursuit that really we're sort of best off uh, just trying to get better uh, compared to where we were before. That makes sense. Um... So staying on the topic of goals, um, in terms of the, the beginning process, so I'm ready to sit down and write down what my goal is going to be. Let's say, I'm all, let's say it's already something I'm interested in, okay? So it's, uh, you know, I want to, you know, um, become a runner. I want to, I want to, you know, jog and maintain a regular pattern of running, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I really want to do that. What are some other tips that you might, you might give somebody for, uh, for deciding how to measure your progress? What, you know, how do you, what physically would you write down when you're making that goal? How do you, you know, paint, paint a picture of what a, good goal would look like in terms of how detailed it is or how broad it is? Yeah. Um, well, I, I would say you're talking about planning. So you've managed to identify a goal that you both have interest in and expect to enjoy, and you think it's important and meaningful and you don't feel forced in. Great. Uh, but then you still need to uh, think about the how, right? So I was just talking about the why am I doing it? Okay, you've got good reasons. Now, how am I going to do it? And that involves planning. And, you know, there's a lot of tricks that you can use. 
Um, <clears throat> one of the main ones in the, the research literature is setting implementation intentions. So this is a trick where you say, uh, okay, when a certain situation arises, that's when I'm gonna take action towards my goal. And, and by making that statement, you're sort of passing the decision on to the future in a particular time and place. Uh, and then it's gonna cue you to do what uh, you said you would do. And so that uh, is a, a planning trick that can get you to um, kind of remember with a thought without even having to try to remember of, oh yeah, I said that, you know, after work on Tuesdays, I've got this two hour window, uh, I'm gonna go to the gym, you know? So um, <clears throat> just making these kinds of plans in advance, it can be really helpful. Yeah, I, um, I tell my students about, I coined the term barrier brainstorming, which is essentially that where uh, oftentimes, uh, if, if you, it's helpful to envision specifically things that are going to make it problematic or, or, or troublesome and make it more difficult to pursue the goal. So for example, like you said, if, if it were, uh, I'm gonna run at night specifically, uh, well, what if it's raining? Well, if it's raining, I will do X, I will do Y. So if, it, you know, if it's raining, I will use the treadmill in my gym, even though I don't like that, it will suffice for you know, my, my, my path towards this goal pursuit. Yeah, that makes sense. In a way, that's a more complicated form of implementation intention. It's not just saying, I will do X when this situation or time arises. It's saying, I will do X when this barrier arises and I'll already have queued up what my reaction to that barrier will be. Yeah. Um, so how do, you, how do you decide if a goal is not right for you? And the reason I'm so interested in that is because, you know, sometimes I've pursued goals and I, I didn't quite hit them. You know, I was, you know, I was uh, training in Brazilian jiu-jitsu for a little bit and I just, you know, bailed after about a month. And I, I had a lot of, there was a lot of ruminating going on about that, which was, I don't know if I quit because I just didn't have the, like, I really did want to do it, but I, I don't know if I quit because I didn't have the discipline or if maybe that's just not the right thing for me, right? So there, there's, there's this constant battle when, when you start to fail at a goal. It's like, is this right for me? Or is it, do I just need to push harder? Um, how would you just uh, explain to somebody when they should quit a goal, when that goal isn't right for them? Yeah. Well, when should you quit? Um, the first uh, piece of advice is, you know, don't even start if you don't have internal motivation, but you're saying you do at the beginning or you think you do, and now things aren't going so well. And so um, you're tempted to quit. I think it's really important to make a distinction between the decision and the result of the decision. Um, so if you st still stand behind the decision, uh, then don't let the result discourage you. You know, it, what the result tells you is um, you weren't trying hard enough. 
just that simple. You, you say you're serious, but you didn't do what it took. All right, so maybe you're not serious. Oh, well, if you really are serious, then next time try harder and make it happen. You know, that's kind of a tough love drill sergeant approach a little bit, but you know, sometimes we have to, to you know, um, call ourselves out if we're being hypocrites, if we're saying we want something, but then we're not following through. And that's actually a, a learning opportunity because that gives us a chance to say, well, no, I didn't really want it versus, well, yeah, no, I really do. And now I got to get serious, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I, I always wonder that because philosophically it's, 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 I, I'm currently undecided when, you know, you, when you say you want to do something, like I want to, uh, to get a blue belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. And then you stop going to class and you, you know, you just abandon your membership. It's like, yeah. did you want to do that? Did you, you know, it's, it's all about the word want. I, I don't know. I, I can see it going either way. I could see someone saying, you know, I did want to, I just uh, didn't have the discipline, but I could also see someone arguing, you know, you don't really want to, you're kind of yeah. diluting the meaning of the word want when you say, yeah. say that. Yeah. Now that that's a really fascinating distinction. And, um, I don't have the, the complete answer to that. Um, I would say this, again, we're kind of up in these, this verbal world, you know, and the, the story that we're living in our heads and we might think we want something, but we might be wrong, you know? So the fact that we can't get ourselves to do it might be evidence that we're wrong and we need to change the goal. Um, and it's hard to tell the difference between that and we really do want it and we just haven't tried hard enough yet. We're, we were trying to get away with less than we really needed to. And now we need to grab ourselves by the scruff of our neck, you know, and get ourselves to follow through. It's pretty darn hard to tell the difference. Um, I, uh, the, I would say that um, if you continually, the time comes when you said you were going to go to the jujitsu workout and you don't want to, and you don't, that is a pretty good sign that um, you might be deluded in thinking you want to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I tend to agree. <laughs> um, so let's talk about, uh, take an example of somebody who's uh, pursuing goals in a very, in a serial fashion. So someone that has uh, basically went all in on sort of, uh, uh, self-improvement, right? So they have one month, they're going to, they're going to do X, they're going to, you know, train for a marathon. And then the next month, it's going to be an Ironman. And then the, the third month is they're going to revamp their diet, you know? So basically someone who, um, who structures their life so that they're serial, they're pursuing goals in a serial manner. Um, is there, is there any downside to that? Because I mean, it, I, I'm not really sure how that fits in with, um, you know, if, if assuming they're being successful at these goals, uh, is there a downside to just kind of chaining together or structuring your life in a way that you're always kind of reaching, always self-improving? Not really. <laughs> um, from the point of view of the research that we do, 
if you're able to set goals you really want and then achieve them and learn and grow in that process and then set even more difficult goals and then achieve those, that's kind of what you want. Um, the only um, caveat I would say to that is that it's possible, I, I sometimes people um, get into a frenetic achievement mode because they're trying to avoid thinking about something that makes them uncomfortable. Um, that they might be, you know, this is their coping strategy is to always be on the go, 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 and they can't stop. Um, how do you tell if that's the case? Uh, I would say because uh, you're no longer getting satisfaction from your achievements. Like you're coping, you're, you're going, 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 you're still doing great, but it feels empty. Uh, that might tell you that uh, there's something else going on that you should stop and take a look at. But otherwise, it sounds like the perfect situation. You're somebody who's striving, who's changing, developing, taking on challenges, all that stuff that, that we like to see people do. Yeah, I, I think I think I was thinking about it in terms of sort of a blind spot in the sense of you know, hy hypothetically take, you know, a husband and wife with two kids and the husband is, you know, pursuing fitness goals constantly. And they, and they sort of put all of their eggs into that fitness goal pursuit basket. Um, so they might be getting all these benefits from making and achieving the goals, but they're, they're, they're um, there's not a lot of diversity in their, in their life. It's, it's almost all about pursuing one, uh, goals in one specific domain. Is, is, there, uh, is there any suggestions you would have for someone in that, in that scenario? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I don't really see a problem with that if you're very focused on one thing in particular. Um, next month, there's going to be a lot of Olympic athletes gathered in Tokyo who that des description perfectly embodies. Um, to be the best at something, you kind of have to be like that. Um, but when is there an imbalance? Well, I would say, I mean, we always have this, um, this uh, diagnostic indicator that tells us if we're doing what's good for us or not, which is, are we happy? Is it making us happy? Um, <clears throat> and so if you're, you know, uh, only doing one thing and, you know, it's not really satisfying. Maybe it was, maybe it's not anymore. Um, that's the sign that maybe it's time to diversify. Another problem with putting all your eggs in one basket is that if you start to do poorly at that thing, whatever it is, you don't have a lot to fall back on. You know, it's like your mainstay mm -hmm. in your life. is It's not working. And oh my God, what do I do? So there's a benefit to diversity because you have other things you can uh, do work on to to feel good to feel like you're making progress even when things are not going uh, so well in a particular domain but in general I, th I think it's fine to be very focused on just one thing as long as it's working for you that makes sense yeah i uh i i think that's uh, you know, especially for the, the athlete, you know, uh, it kind of makes sense when you're in that zone where you, where you, in order to achieve that goal, it requires all of these specific steps, right? 
because if you don't put those, if, if you don't invest that much time and energy, you're never going to achieve that, that, that ambitious goal. Um, now, the idea behind leveraging goals properly and, uh, and paying attention to your motives, it's all kind of funneling towards improving well-being or making you happy, as you mentioned, happiness. Um, we've, uh, we've got about five minutes left. In, for my last question, um, I'd like to ask you, is finding happiness the right word for what we're striving for? Because sometimes it feels like, you know, well, what makes you happy? Uh, sitting on the couch and, uh, under a blanket. Um, well, you know, that, that, that seems to be something that a lot of depressed people do sitting, you know, especially if they don't go out and, and, and interact with the world or do anything. Um, I'm curious as to someone who's in this area of positive psychology, um, is happiness what we're striving for? Yeah, great question. Uh, so we've done research in which people strive for happiness. Their goal is to become happier and we find it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Uh, you have to do things that are meaningful, that challenge you, that you know, are, have some um, ulterior purpose to them. Um, and as a side effect, uh, if you succeed at those things, you'll it'll make you happier but we're not it's funny because in the american declaration of independence thomas jefferson said we're guaranteed to be able to pursue happiness uh, but people get confused and they think okay i'm pursuing happiness why aren't i happy yet you know and what we're really free to do is to pursue what's meaningful for us. And if we manage to do that and do well at it, then there's this very nice side effect that will uh, become happier as well. Does that mean happiness is a goal? No, but it's very convenient that that comes along because it reinforces what we're doing. I'm doing what's meaningful. I'm doing well at it. I'm feeling a, 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 an inner glow that I didn't have a month ago. I'm going to keep doing it. Right. So that's how we see those sort of chaining together. Awesome. Well, uh, I think that's a, that's a great, uh, great uh, uh, description of, of what, where we should be targeting our goal pursuit rifle. Uh, uh, thank you so much uh, for joining me today. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time. It's fun conversation. I enjoyed your questions. Ken, you can visit his faculty page at the site for the University of Missouri Psychology Department. Be sure to follow the Why Do We Do That Facebook page for updates and additional content. Don't forget to rate and write a review on iTunes. Follow on Instagram at Why Do We Do That Podcast or Twitter at WDWDTPod. And as always, feel free to email me at any time at Why Do We Do That Podcast at gmail.com. Until next time, this is Dr. Ryan Moyer, hoping you found some answers to the question, why do we do that?